Hello and welcome to In the Envelope, an awards interview podcast. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, the most trusted name in casting. I'm here to spotlight some of the most exciting film, television, and theater awards contenders working today. Who is in the running? What makes an awards-worthy performance? And what, dear listeners, are the secrets to giving one? We're sitting down for intimate, inspirational interviews with actors and artists to get that insider's perspective on these questions and more. It's an opportunity for some of today's most talented stars to share their craft and career advice, and maybe, just maybe, provide a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. Look, there are long, hard days in this job, no doubt. Sure. But it is a privilege to go and get paid, or even to work for free, you know, <laughs> making something with your friends, student, whatever it is. Yeah. It's a privilege to go create and make things. It's And it's it doesn't mean it's easy, but it's a privilege. This interview is textbook. This interview was so good. Jamie, yes. hello. Oh my gosh. You are a voiceover actor. I am. What was it like to hear from one of the top, one of the foremost working voice actor, voiceover actors of his, of his day? Of his yeah, time? it was really great because he knows both sides from the casting mm-hmm. side and the oh, direction mm-hmm. side and the writing side and of course the performing side. So mm-hmm. it was a treat for me and all the voiceover people out there to hear that. Yeah, and uh, yeah. of course his show Big Mouth. Yeah, it was really, it was really a lot of fun to hear that. Yeah, that was one of those good shows uh, in terms of when you talk about it, you learn um, about kind of the evergreen advicey stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember we, we got into it in terms of like how he sees quote unquote dramatic material and how that differs from comedy. Yeah. Um, the rules of improv and like mm. creating a set that is either you have to stick entirely to the lines or or not. Yeah. That yielded some really really interesting stuff. This is yet another interview where we got a we got a very clear picture of the person's process. Mm. I think. I thought it was interesting. We was t- talking about remembering lines and or not remembering yes. lines and things like that. How hard which, it is for him sometimes. Yeah, which is why I, I'm thinking he probably veers toward voiceover because you don't have to be off book. <laughs> okay, interesting. First of all, have you done any like not on cam- uh, on mic stuff? Like, have you done acting? That has nothing to do with I did mocap, where you, and you can't be on. Oh, right. You have to be off book for that. Okay. Um, because you're you have sort of, lines, but you it's also just it is a physical performance. Yeah, and they're yeah. they're filming your face and your body. Wow. And uh, you can't stand <laughs> with a script. Um, okay. They're capturing that got your you out your out of your comfort zone. Oh yes. Yeah. Big time. Cool. It's scarier. It's good because. Uh, you're freer. You're not necessarily. I mean, part of the skill of voiceover, not to make this all about me. Part of the skill no, of yeah. voiceover is not to be so absolutely bound to like the gotcha. punctuation and and things quite so much. You say all the words in the right order, of okay. course, but is separating your brain out from like it being written text mm-hmm. in, into a performance, which is not quite the case when you're on camera. Of course, you're more living it as opposed to reproducing gotcha. something. Right? Um, is this true for auditions or demo reels, or is it more of um, you're talking about? in the job of a voiceover gig. Ideally in all all of the above, okay. I think, really. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Unless it's super corporate. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, 
Mm. It's a performance, even if you're doing a TV commercial, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, getting back to uh, him, I, I, I definitely related to uh, yeah. him talking about being off book and mm-hmm. some directors or some, some writers insisting on every comma be sure. honored. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is restrictive, but then I suppose in some ways liberating. Because, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And he clarified that really well for me, like that, that sometimes a rigid structure is exactly where you excel as an artist. And sometimes it's the other way around where you mm. want the freedom. And as he's the, you know, producer, writer, creator, all of it for Big Mouth, he has taken every experience that he's had before and created this set that enables his very talented voice actors to riff and to bring their own jokes. If they want, they do read what's on in the script, I believe. And then maybe, maybe they improvise. They don't have to. And it's a nice set. We talked a lot about the importance of being nice. Yeah. That's a big one. Definitely. And he, and it's, it's in who he is. He's a super nice guy. Then the negativity thing, this was true for MJ Rodriguez too. This idea of like, there's no room for negativity no. on a set, on, in an audition. There's, there's no point. There's no point. It's unnecessary. Well, I think people outside of the industry, the entertainment industry, mm. kind of assume that it's just a big lark and everyone's just having a great time. Uh-huh. You know, it's hard work. Yeah. You know, you talk to these actors and, you know, they're getting to set at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. They're not finishing until late at night. And, sure. you know, or to a have a bad show. attitude in that environment yeah. it will not get you very far. People will it not want to spend It doesn't get you as far. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I can totally see why having a bad attitude will be totally. very restrictive for your career. Totally. And like so many of those, that lesson was delivered from Nick in this interview in a way that didn't feel like a lesson. No. In fact, that was what we talked about with Big Mouth too, of like, it's a spoonful of sugar thing of like, um, you want to, you do want to teach a part of the, a part of the point that season two of Big Mouth had this incredible episode about Planned Parenthood mm. that was a bunch of different sketches it has to be said, Big Mouth is absolutely the weirdest show on TV. Yeah. <laughs> it's above and beyond the weirdest show. Yeah. But um, the Planned Parenthood episode is, it is supposed to teach. Yeah. But always with that show, and it sounds like with Nick Kroll's philosophy, you you embed it in the comedy. And you do the thing of balancing between treacly um, sincerity yeah. and heartfelt and laugh out loud funny. Yeah. Goofy dumb jokes, good jokes, cleverness, all of that. Every single moment of Big Mouth is a calibration of those two things. So it, it's not preachy, but it is almost like yeah. a good teacher where where a teacher mm-hmm. will, you know, use different vehicles. Not to a get lecture. What they, not a lecture, exactly. exactly. And they, they utilize, yeah. you know, various different techniques. To totally. Yeah. yeah, I think, the, the, and then that comes back to this interview, because like, Maybe in a in a transcript form, it would look like a lecture, kind yeah. of, because he really is making. He just made so many amazing points. Um, this is one of those like you want building blocks of how to create a career as an artist. This yeah. is one of the interviews you listen to. Yeah, I was fa- I was thrilled. This yeah. is really awesome. Yeah. I knew it'd be great, but I but he he was amazing. This is really awesome. Yeah, we talked a little bit about a couple of his films too. But if you haven't seen Big Mouth, it's on Netflix. It's awesome. Go yeah, see it. It no is, excuse. again, the weirdest show on TV, <laughs> truly, in the best way. Shall we listen? I think in? so. Let's do it. This podcast is brought to you by Backstage, the world's number one casting platform. Listen, a lot of the guests on In the Envelope, an awards podcast, used Backstage at the beginning of their careers. It's how they are now in the running for Emmy, for Oscar, for Tony, etc. If you are at the beginning of your career as an artist... 
here's what you do. You go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code envelope at checkout for a free 30-day trial. That's right, free 30-day trial if you go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code envelope. All you gotta do then is make a profile, upload a headshot, and start applying to jobs to the thousands of casting notices that are uploaded every day, which you can filter online to match your specific talents, your specific needs, your specific looks. Get that dream started today. Check out that free 30-day trial, backstage.com slash subscribe, enter the code envelope. Let's do it. Writer, producer, and actor on dramas and comedies alike, Nick Kroll is best known for his roles in some of the funniest projects of the last several years. He created The Kroll Show, starred on Broadway alongside John Mulaney in Oh Hello, and now produces and stars in the Netflix animated comedy Big Mouth, co-created with Andrew Goldberg, Mark Levin, and Jennifer Flackett, exploring the uncomfortable, hilarious process known as puberty. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only, Nick Kroll. Yeah, when I first moved to New York, there wasn't really the internet. And so, uh-huh. um, I mean, there was the, it was the, I mean, it was 2001, 2002. So we would, I would look in Backstage Magazine mm-hmm. and look in the back and look at open calls and all that kind of stuff. Um, I never really did much with those uh, sure. looking through it. Um, because but it's good to know. It's good to know, and it was, it, and I, I think at that point it was a conscious decision as to whether I was going to go try to be, quote unquote, an actor or be a comedian. Uh huh, okay. A- and so um, I would look at those call open calls or student films, auditions, or like, you know, plays mm-hmm. or things like that. And I just always felt like, oh, I don't think that's going to be my way into all this. Like, I think I'd rather mm-hmm. go do comedy, go do stand-up, go do improv, sketch, and use that as, as the, hopefully, as the foundation for being able to get, like, acting work. Yeah, and that's because you were kind of following your gut instinct. Like, that was the way you wanted in. Yeah, I just, had, I'd studied improv in college, and mm-hmm. um, with a group of, of people who I'm still friendly with and fr- friends with and work with, and I went to Georgetown, and we had done some uh, workshops at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, which was just getting going in New York. Oh. Uh, while we were in college, we'd come up and do like workshops once a year or stuff over the summer, and I'd go see shows over the summer at UCB. And then I moved to New York. Uh, I graduated college, and then I was living at home in Westchester. 9-11 happened. Oh. Um, and so I delayed me moving in for a while, and, and I huh. started... Um, I basically started taking a class at UCB that that fall right around 9/11, and then uh, my New Year's resolution was to do like an open mic in two, you know, be, start, oh, starting cool. 2002, and it took me like a few weeks, and then I started, and then I moved into the city and and just started kind of basically go, doing anything anywhere in whatever form I could to perform live, um, uh-huh. and. At UC, took more class at UCB, started, like, joined a practice group there. Mm -hmm. My college improv group uh, 
which was like uh, Mike Perpiglia and Brian Donovan and Ed Harrow and, and a bunch of guys I had gone to college with had started a group in New York called Little Man, and they were mm-hmm. performing at UCB, and I eventually joined them. And so I was either basically doing like an open mic, a practice group, or a show with Little Man or tr- or what. And and everything in between, as many right. nights a week as I could. Improv, sketch, and stand-up, all of it. Kind, kind of, of all doing yeah. all of it. Uh, For like, the purpose of that, like, a, you wanted a liberal arts education in comedy. In the I guess world. so, yeah. yeah. I just think I was like, and still am never, have never entirely been clear which was the one I'm, I'm best at or, mm-hmm. or most drawn to. And I have found the most joy in, mm. um, in sort of swimming in all of those little ponds. Yeah. And that's what you, and that's the looking at the backstage things of like you are listening to your gut and saying which is going to bring, what's going to bring them the most joy. Correct. Yeah. And and just like, and honestly, in my case, what's most bang for my buck? Like I didn't feel, mm. I felt like I'd done stand up, I'd done improv, I felt comfortable. I mean, I was very early in the process of like, mm. I want to be a comedian. Um, or I know I like comedy and I know I'm okay at it. Mm. I did not feel confident that I could go in and audition for a play or audition for a short mm. film or student film and feel like I was going to book that. My friends who were doing <laughs> that r- route, um, they seemed to just, it seemed really hard. Oh. I just seemed, you so were it was, le- it was my it. gut and it was more, but it was really more, you know, whether it's like, if you're able to separate gut instinct and like mm. logic, yeah. I yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. no, I can go do an open mic and nobody can stop me from doing that. Right. But I can go audition for f- 10 plays and not book any of them. Yeah. And feel powerless. Yes. Yeah. And that's the last thing I wanted to do yeah. early on and still is to feel you. powerless in the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When did this all, when did this all start? Cause the, you didn't study, you studied improv in college, but did you get it in your head well before then that? Was it always comedy? Was it always? Um, I did like I did your average like couple school plays. Mm-hmm. Um, I did one play in high school. Um, it was like a temperance play, a one act. I was the villain. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. And did it like I, open your eyes? And... No, I mean I had fun. Yeah. But it was not at my school. I went to a private school in Westchester uh, called Rye Country Day, which is a good academic institution, but I did not feel as though it in- was encouraging my artistic. I had one teacher, mm-hmm. uh, one or two teachers, uh, uh, a guy named Carrie Fuller, who I thought was, who directed me in that play, who I liked. But it was not, to me, a culturally a place that was encouraging mm-hmm. performance and stuff like that. So I didn't think much about it at all. I And then I went to a school in uh, for one semester my junior year of high school called the Mountain School. Uh, up in Vermont, right. and, and it was a real group. It was like 45 kids on a farm, and, you know, we did a lot of outdoor activities, hiking and, uh, you know, environmental science, all that kind of stuff. And then we would get together on the weekends because there was nothing around. We would have, like, quote-unquote coffee houses, and, like, uh-huh. my buddy Josh played blues guitar, and my buddy Sam could play uh, drums, but he would play on, like, you know, like uh, those... Um, little buckets or whatever sure. people would read poetry mm, cool and i was sort of like i remember like l- lip syncing uh, and dancing <laughs> to like james brown oh wow and that was like that's when i was like oh i don't know what this is but uh, i like this yeah, yeah yeah i like and it was it was the beginning of being like trust your foot that that if something seems 
fun and interesting to you, then maybe others will find it. And it doesn't have to be a play, and it doesn't have to be anything. It just could be like getting up and being on stage in front of people and really knowing I like that. And then got to college and saw some flyer for the funniest act on campus, which I entered. uh, Berbiglia won that competition. I bombed, but he saw me trying to do something and was like, I think that guy's funny. Uh-huh. And then I auditioned. He put together a sketch show at the end of that year, which I auditioned for and got in. And I did the first read-through of that of the sketch show. And I, and I remember walking home to my dorm and being like, oh, this, this, is, this like, is it. This, like, is, this it. is the thing cool. that I – this feels like the thing that I want to do and that sure. I, you know. And then – uh, you know, throughout college, did a lot of performing in that way, and then moved to New York and started doing stuff. And then actually, Mike recommended I took an acting class. The one acting class I ever took, hmm. acting acting class, was Anthony Abeson, who mm-hmm. I I just sent Mike a picture of it the other day at the Producers Club on like Forty Fourth and between like Eighth and Ninth. Hmm. Um, it's just a you know, it's like a black box theater, but really Anthony taught classes there. I took like one acting class tried to memorize lines to Eugene O'Neill play. Uh-huh. Could truly could not memorize them. Uh, <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't I, I I hadn't learned how to do that yet. Sure. And it, it continues to be a problem for me. Um mm, okay. I uh I didn't realize that I needed to I learn I think I learn lines verbally. I need to say them out loud to someone. Uh-huh. And I will look like if a I, improv or sketch. Yeah. yeah. Or it's just like I need to I can't sit in a room, look at my lines mm-hmm. and an hour like I could spend three hours staring at my lines mm-hmm. and I could spend one hour saying them out loud with yeah. someone and I'll learn them in an hour much mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I had not learned that yet. Sure. And it sounds like that's actually true for a lot of um, writers who act or, ac- or actors who write, mm, mm. is that they, you know, if you write it down, but you're also putting yourself in the character that you're writing or in the sketch itself, or yeah, if you're on your feet yeah. with other people. Yeah. I just needed, I need to put it on its feet to learn it. So I hadn't, yeah. but, but the class was good. There were some useful skills, but I actually felt like an acting class started to get me in my head. Oh, okay. Like process, mm. like process mm-hmm. um like like being like you're sad in the scene think <laughs> about something sad from your life as a way sure. in i think there's great utility in that but it was making me like yeah i was sort of like and i'm still sort of like or i could like mm. read what i think this character is going through and then just like pretend to feel that way Sure. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> I do. And I can just I be like, oh, he. it seems like based on reading these lines that he seems sad. So I'll just pretend to be sad. <laughs> so we, we got you in here to like to like elaborate on actorly secrets and like there it is right there. <laughs> yeah. Like... Pretend to feel the emotion that the character you're portraying feels. But I do want to get to that idea of like you called it acting acting. And I want to get to this moment in season two of Big Mouth. Uh-huh. Where you did sort of speak as yourself, yeah, and you had a moment of like, I might want to do some dramatic yeah, roles, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like that felt like such a like, okay, what does Nick Kroll want? <laughs> what is he telling his audience? Yeah, what is it about acting? You've been in these in two at least two like very dramatic roles. Yeah, I love is it. That, yeah, I love it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it the, sounds like you really separate. 
Well, yes and no. I, I mean, I, I, in fact, I don't. I mean, I think people separate those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Mm. Um, the line is: there's a scene in in Big Mouth where Nick, little Nick, thirteen year old Nick, goes to the future and meets. He's gets eats an edible, he gets high, and talks to forty year old Nick, mm-hmm. who is a Nick star, a game show host, <laughs> who also has a show on Netflix. Oh, right. About a cartoon about how he rocked as a kid. <laughs> and Nick says, did you like it? And he's like, you don't mind it. Uh, uh, you'd <laughs> rather be doing more dramatic work. It's more of an ego thing. Um, and I think it is. So obviously that's a based in something. It's also a joke. But it's the right. idea being that I think a lot of comedians or comedic actors mm. do comedy and weirdly are doing it so that eventually someone lets them go do a drama. Mm. And there's some weird thing of like, once I get big enough as a comic actor, I get to go do dramas. Right. And either you stick your toe in and then you go back to comedy or you're like transitioning to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and some people get to do both. But it's, right. it's a weird thing that like we all kind of are like quietly aspiring to do. <laughs> I've now been able to do. I was in that this movie Loving mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago and then in Operation Finale this year. Yes. Both historical dramas based in truth. Finale, a little more of a thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, I love doing them both. And I think, and people are always like, when I was, you know, doing interviews for those things, they're like, now this is a real departure for you. This right. is a da-da-da. And it was like, well, it, it's it's a departure in that, like, someone allowed me to go do these things. But I would mm-hmm. argue that on Big Mouth, and more so, like on Kroll Show, mm-hmm. like, it was a crazy heightened sketch comedy world and the characters were insane but I would argue we were doing I in every scene I was in in Kroll Show I was acting yeah. to the height of my abilities yeah. that there was no like uh, selling out of an emotional moment. Mm. In fact, it was like to me the my favorite most exciting moments on that show were when we really dug in emotionally mm. to these characters, whether it was like Bobby Bottle Service dealing mm-hmm. with like you know his love for Farley or his mother or. You know, crazy like publicity, Caesar yeah. dealing with Jenny as as Liz, or any all these things that were like so insane. But I was like, no, there's no, I'm doing nothing. I mean, I'm I might be going bigger, right. but I'm a, I'm as an actor, I'm I'm digging in as much as I would be doing yeah. a, like a dramatic film. Totally, um, I love hearing that. Like, it's not that different from O'Neill. You're making you're making choices and you're committing to them. Yes, and that. Like it is, I like the idea too that it's other people who are making the distinction of like, well, this is serious and this is correct. And to your mind, it's all it's all the same. Yeah, it's all. I mean, same process. And it's and I think bringing what I have learned slowly doing dramatic work and realizing that it's not just as simple as like you know mm. whatever pretending to you know be sad, <laughs> but those choices, the choices that you start to try to figure out how to make doing a dramatic piece where mm. you have no flexibility on the words and the lines. Like, you know, in, in comedy gotcha. so often I have some uh, some uh, leeway. Yeah, um, especially if it's your stuff. Especially if it's my stuff. Right. It's like, well, I fucking wrote it, so if I want to change it, it, I'm going to change it. Got it. Uh, whereas with, with dramatic stuff, if someone's written, I, 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 I mean, sometimes I'm given leeway, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it's like, this was written and this is the, and like you make your choices within the words yeah. that you're given. Um, and that can feel more constricting because you're used to the other thing. Yeah. And then also weirdly more, f- not freeing, but m- it's constricting in that way, but, but, but also being like, oh, 
wow, it's freeing to be like, no, I have to work with what is cool. in front of me. Mm. How do I make good choices with what's in front of me? Mm. And taking that and bringing that back to the comedy side. Oh, okay, cool. So, like, my feeling and you know, whether it was whether it's doing a dramatic movie or a sketch comedy show or being in someone else's thing or writing my own thing or doing stand-up or doing improv or doing sketch, whatever it is that if you're – I believe if I'm doing it right, I'm taking – the skills that I've learned, <clears throat> I'm taking the things that I've learned in each of these other categories and bringing it mm-hmm. to the one I'm doing, um, mm-hmm. wherever I am. And that, that is to me like the, the great benefit for me as like what I would say like as an interdisciplinary performer. Sure. Um, that those things, if you're if you're paying enough attention, not if you, I'll say if if I'm paying enough attention mm. to what I'm doing, each one can inform the other. Okay, but it, I mean, how? But how exactly does the the idea of being these are the lines that I have to work with, and then you go back to the stuff that you're writing? Mm-hmm. Is it is that part partly because the writing process is such that you could polish and polish and polish, and like part of being a writer is knowing when to stop sure. editing and fixing. Yeah. So is that is that one of the skills that you take over where you're like, what I have now is what we're working with? Yeah, well, I think it's like for comedy for many, for the last decade and plus has been so improv driven, which has been great and mm. hugely helpful for my career. And hmm. um, But it it, it, it it sort of gave the implication that the words are totally disposable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... For sure, we wrote jokes on Kroll's show that I love, but also it was kind of like any script could be thrown out the window mm. to shoot to to improvise to let like to let like Mulaney or Jenny Slate mm-hmm. or or John Daly or Mike Jason Manzukis like yeah. inform the part with their own words because they're fucking geniuses. Mm-hmm. But I think, especially in writing Big Mouth, um, we really. We have a proper writer's room that we write mm. scripts that we are trying to write so that the people coming in to voice those characters don't have to do anything but say say those the lines that were written for them. Mm. And then we say, if you have anything else that you'd like to say mm. or you have an idea or you want to tweak this, they have mm. more than enough. For, we would, we would, I, of course, like you've got Maya Rudolph or, right. or, or Jesse Klein or all these amazingly funny, smart people who are writers in their own right. How could right. you not let them inform the part? But me knowing what it's like to be on the other side of that, which is like, and then you can just like make it funnier. It's like, no, you wrote this. <laughs> like, make make this funny, and and I'll say it. You know? Yeah, I gotcha. Um, and so I think we've tried to take some of that, like, really, like. Uh, trying to write the funniest, absolute funniest thing we can write mm. that works all on its own. That you know that the performer doesn't have to improvise or t- tweak it. Right. If, but again, also allowing them freedom to add, and which they do. Um, but they're adding mm. tweaks and moments versus having to improvise entire totally. things. My Rudolph is a perfect example because you can tell that she's been given these lines but she's adding extra syllables <laughs> yes she's adding yes she's adding all the things that 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 only she can bring right but it's like yeah. but 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 we we try to write we try to write as much to that and then like we're also 
once we hear the fun syllables she's adding, we mm-hmm. then try to write words that will be fun for her to say. Totally. And that's you know? what's fun about TV is you can keep going and developing the yeah, character. Yeah, and, and, and with an animated show especially, yeah. you you write the script, you have a table read, you do we do a rewrite of that table read, we then record the show and, and actors can bring their elements to things. Then we have a radio play, which is just the audio cut of the episode, which we then listen ah. to and do a rewrite off of that. And then oh, cool. it gets animated to the animatic, like a rough draft stage. We watch that as a group, and then we rewrite that. And then that goes off to Korea for four or five months and comes back, and we see a, the full color screening of the episode, and then we do a rewrite based off that. And there's so there's tons huh. of stages to yeah. our show. That's fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Um, the idea of the uh, – I like the idea of the writing for people and the the thing of, like, you want to strike a balance between giving the actor enough to work with. Like, the idea of saying to an actor, any actor, feel free to improvise. Yeah. It kind of puts pressure on the actor. Like, that's, I feel like, a common scenario maybe in, in bad writing. Yeah. Right? I mean, it all just depends. Like, Rely the, too the much models – yeah, there, it just depends on the model. Like – you know, like I was on the league, which came out of Curb. Mm-hmm. Your enthusiasm, Jeff Schaefer, been at Curb, and like, I think that model was like, "We're you're all funny. We all write great jokes. Here are some bits, mm. but like, say it however you want. Mm-hmm. You know, feel free to improvise." And that was how that show was built, and that was it was super fun and gratifying to do, and and so crazy. Um, <laughs> and and I think like crazy controlled. Like, controlled craziness, yeah. yeah. And, and, I mean, that's really what I think Kroll Show really was, was, like, controlled mm. insanity. Mm. Um, cool. And I think, um, I don't know, it's like, I never mind being, to, to, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't mind being told, feel free to improvise. I mean, it adds mm-hmm. pressure that it's like, w- like, we didn't, I, I mean, they're diff- all different versions of it. It's like, yeah. we've written a killer joke. Once you've said that once or twice, once we know we've got it, feel free to improvise. Oh, okay. Like, have an alt if you want, you know? Mm-hmm. I also take it as, for me, there's a, a pressure release of being told feel free to improvise, which means you don't have to be word perfect. Okay. And right. that, to me, is a huge thing, which is there's a difference between being like, learn the words, and but there's, I know what it's like being, the other side of all this, I know what it's like being in a writer's room. Yeah. I know what it's like to write a script. I know that there are certain times where like some some writer has like been up till like 3.30 in the morning <laughs> and has been like, the, the, fine, here it is, like we're shooting this tomorrow. Right. I know that like that person hasn't crafted that for the last two years to be this mm. perfect rhythm. Right. And so mm. I feel like you have some you have some it's not Eugene O'Neill. I was gonna say, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it's yeah. not it's not something that's been tested for years and years and years right. that like, no, there is a rhythm, there is this thing that's happening here. Right. It's like so when on the occasional job where I've been told be word perfect I'm like, okay, mm. but like now all I'm thinking about is getting these words right and I'm losing the thread of what you're we're really doing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So in a perfect world, you're telling people like, like just try to get what we're getting, what we're saying here, yeah. like largely right. Mm-hmm. And, and then I find people relax and get it all right, or at least that's how I am. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like once I'm less in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, I can do that monologue. Yeah. But if I'm like, ooh, I made that in it is versus an it's, uh-huh. you know, I have I haven't made. I've, and then you're like, then I'm like, I gotta say it's, I gotta say it's, Ugh. or I gotta say it is because that's how he wants it. Yeah. And 
there are there are writers and there are those projects that are like no be 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 so goddamn precise because this is mm-hmm. this is poetry right um and then there are other t- it's just project to project you know totally yeah i really like the idea of of you like sitting there the in your head thing is is very much a factor and it it's not something you can i guess you just got to practice yeah, it's just hours and hours of and and there's not there's no great, you know, like there's no um there's no um substitute just for physically doing it over and over like the first couple commercials I did. Ah. You know, when I I started doing comedy and then I got a the other classes I took were I took a commercial acting class, oh, okay. auditioning class. Um mm. uh Brooke Thomas and Mary Egan, who at the time were casting directors at House Productions in New York for that was a commercial casting house and and production com- commercial production company, and they taught a class and they specifically taught a lot of the UCB people because mm. they liked to cast UCB people because okay. UCB people could improvise. There you go. So, what they taught me the the best lesson that they taught me was like just be yourself. Kind of at least for commercial acting, they were like fuck around mm. with the words, improvise, make it your own. Uh-huh. If they want you, they want you. And if yeah. they don't, they don't. And is that commercials are usually the kind of thing where it's not poetry. The script, it's not poetry. Right? And at least when I was doing them, it was like improvising the audition so that we can take your use best that. joke and use that <laughs> and cast someone else. Even if you don't get the job. Ugh. Yeah. That's so that, that happened a bit. But also, that happened a bit. But honestly, it, for me, it happened so much more where I improvised in auditions and they were like, great, hire that guy. Okay. You know? And so I was, Good. that was the, that was for me, that was how I started. And I did it for radio. I mean, really it was like my, I made my, started making my living for years doing commercials and mm-hmm. radio voiceover work. Um, and that made me, that, 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 I started to make a, a living that way. Yeah. Um, like so many actors. Um, and I was like, oh, my way in is to, to, you know, around yeah. and they were happy to have me fucking around um yeah and to be yourself that's a kind of a crucial piece of advice too. yes and that was it it was like either they want you or they don't right and and be yourself that's your best opportunity um to book it at least for me it was and um i don't know this was going somewhere this started somewhere now i don't remember where it was what other classes did you take uh, you had an O'Neill class. I took, a, I took like a commercial acting class. I took this sort of real kind of, you know, standard act, quote unquote, acting class. And these are all the non-UCB things you were doing. Yeah. And then yeah. I took UCB classes through like level three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm trying to think if I've taken other classes. And once you started the voiceover stuff, like you, that kept, kept you afloat so that you could do open mics the open mics stand up yeah do stand up at night start making videos making little Mm -hmm. you know yeah making stuff myself with my friends and then after a few years we started we started getting paid to do some of that stuff like uh, Comedy Central had this Mm. thing called Motherload which was a it was their first version their first dip into like the digital space Mm mm-hmm we, me and my, actually the Georgetown guys, Little Man, we we did a thing called I Love the 30s. It was oh. like a parody of the I, all those I Love the 80s, all those VH1 shows uh-huh. called I Love the a- I Love the 30s. It was people in the 40s talking about the 1930s, like the Lindbergh baby kidnapping and the Hindberg disaster <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Like fondly? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Babe Ruth. It was sort of like just how okay. like everyone was like, 
you know, and I love the 80s. It was like talking about Pac-Man, except we were talking about like, uh-huh. yeah, we were talking about the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. Um, okay. And uh, really smart, like really uh, in, almost in a, like, historical. Yeah, I guess so. So, <laughs> so weird. But and then I started doing like VH1, all those sort of like green yeah. screen VH1 shows. Um, and I eventually got on Best Week Ever. Mm-hmm. Um and that was, you know, that was some money and also just more exposure and stuff like that. Um, and then I went to L.A. Ah. I think around 2006, 2007, pilot season. Oh, okay. And I auditioned for a bunch of stuff. And the last audition I had was, f- uh, I really, I think it was like last one was for uh, Cavemen. Yes. Uh, the ABC show Cavemen, the hit show Cavemen, <laughs> uh, based on the Geico Cavemen commercials. Yes. Um, I booked that. Uh, so that must have been a major moment. That was like, yeah, that was like, I had, you know, because I'd been in a bunch of commercials and I had been on VH1, yeah. but I had to that point not been on a TV show. I'd never acted on TV. Right, right. In, beyond commercials. Um, hmm. And that was, there was something about getting that stamp of approval of like a network stamp of approval. Oh, you booked a network show. Um, right. And then it went to series and it was incredibly challenging. Oh, it was like four hours of makeup every morning to get in to become a caveman. Mm. And that is tough, yeah. It sucked. I mean, <laughs> it was great to have an acting job. Sure. It was amazing. Uh, but it was just physically and emotionally taxing. We were we were working 85, 90 hour weeks. Ah. Uh, it was I mean, it was just the pilot was, I think, around we clocked in. The pilot was like, yeah, like eight we did like eighty five hours. Uh-huh. And and then we got to series and it was just super hard, but amazing. And I just yeah. learned everything about being on a set. I learned mm. like, you know That was your education though. Yeah, it was just like, oh, okay, like this is how you this is how you um pitch a writer to change a line. This uh. is how you like you have to listen to you have to listen to the writer. You realize the director on TV is oftentimes honestly like a working a bit for the writers. Um, uh, okay. Like, th- which camera is yours? Do I like mm. you're 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 stepping in someone's light? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to hit your mark. You, um, how do you do an insert? You know, mm-hmm. how do you uh, listen to the sound guy when you don't have to listen to the sound guy who mm-hmm. only cares about making sure your sound is fine but doesn't care about whether you're doing a line right? Mm. Um, the stuff you can't learn in a book. The stuff you just can't learn in a book. Yeah, you have to learn on set, yeah. like how to talk to, like how to, like it's so crazy, but it's like setting the table so that you can do your job effectively. Being right. like, being like, oh, I want my coffee not right when I come in. <sighs> I want my first cup of coffee like 10 minutes before I get called to set hmm. so that when I get to set and I'm actually going to act, I now feel like as juiced as I can off that first cup of coffee. Uh-huh. After four hours of makeup. After which, four hours of makeup. Yeah. But like I don't need a cup of coffee at the beginning of makeup huh. because I'm just going to sit there for four hours. <laughs> you know, again, it's like totally. it's all these things that like yeah, yeah. can make you either sound like diva or a crazy person or – but really it's just like setting the table for yourself hmm. to go do – the to focus on all of these exterior things as little yeah. as possible, sure, so that you can just then go and act, yeah, and be grounded and be present, yeah, as present as you can be with yeah. the schedule and the camera, yeah, be, be as like, yes, and and you have to do everything for the first time 
at some point. And um, yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. know, and like you, you just like. And those times are when you learn the most. Yeah. Yeah, and then you just you're like, okay, that's what that was, F- man. Like, okay. Even and then if it wasn't every, perfect. It, oh, for sure. But <laughs> and then every job after that, yeah, you are just slowly learning. Mm-hmm. There are things going to be different on every job, but you're sort of like, okay, I don't have to think about X, Y, and Z anymore. Mm-hmm. I can now just focus more and more on what my job, my literal job of acting is. Mm-hmm. And setting that table. And it sounds like, and listening to your gut is like an important part of that. Yeah, sure. What you like, what you don't like. Yeah, well, yeah, well, and, and yeah, the kind of jobs you want. And I think like, you know, we're all sort of programmed to be like, you know, and that's what's been interesting about like being in, in serious dramatic films, which I love doing, but like mm. we're all kind of quietly programmed to be like, go get yourself in an Oscar movie. Go try to get in an Oscar movie. Sure. Okay. And then you like hmm. go do some version of that and you're like, oh, okay, that's what this is. Uh-huh. Um, is that what I want? Is wow. that really what I want? Like constantly asking yourself, is this actually what I want or is this what I have in my head from when I was a kid or from when I started yes. and like somebody else told me this what someone I else told me like we have been told like go get yourself in an Oscar movie mm. and then you're like well that was fun but maybe I really just want to be in like a fucking silly comedy or I want to just go do stand up or I want to like yeah. or I want to go you know be on a soap opera because I like that life Yes, like I think we are not we don't we're oftentimes not listening actually listening to ourselves about what we want to actually do versus like what we are uh, told mm. by ourselves or others as to like what it is that you're supposed to be doing that was primo advice mm. we are using that forever okay <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to ask too is that it sounds like with the first network TV experience mm-hmm. and onward, you must have also started getting experience about like how to build a set tonally, like how to make sure. a trusting environment, sure. how to get to the place where you can say to an actor, here's my solid script, but if you want to improvise yeah. and then have that good relationship. Oh, there are definitely every job you have, every job I have had, there are things that I've taken and been like, that's how I want to run my yeah. set or my show. And there are things where I'm like, I will do this in opposition to how this is being done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, every job I've had. Um, I The biggest one for me, the biggest thing that is how every show that I've worked on for myself and the ones that I love working on the most is no assholes. Uh-huh. Just no asshole policy. Cool. There's no need for there's no need for actors to be assholes, uh-huh. and there's no need for other people to be assholes. There are like Excellent. like there's people create unnecessary drama yeah. um, that just doesn't lead to good work. And maybe if you're like a once in a generational auteur, I guess you can be an asshole. But even then, I'm like, hmm. I don't know, man. I don't think you need to be an asshole. I don't need. To, I don't think you need to fuck with people. I don't think like. Right. I don't like when directors try to cr- puppeteer things of being like, I'm mm. setting this weird scenario because I think I'll get the most out oh. of people. It's like, no, just tell me like, is this? I'm supposed to be sad in the scene? Okay, yeah. Let me go be sad in the scene. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. each, that might just be me. Like, that's how I work. That's whatever. Maybe some people need to be manipulated or coaxed. I don't believe it. 
I be, and I don't sure. believe I don't believe anyone has the right to be a diva. I don't believe actors have the right. right to be difficult. I don't believe that writers have the right to be difficult. I don't think directors have the right, and I don't think craft services people have the right to be difficult. Mm-hmm. I don't think the makeup person should be able to like have drama. I don't think that like mm-hmm. nobody. We're all in this thing together. You're spending mm-hmm. so many hours with people doing this incredibly silly thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody should be making other people's lives miserable or difficult. Yeah, yeah. Nobody like we have we have, we are privileged to get to go do this bizarre thing. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be trying times. There's going to be difficult things that go into it. There's going to be stressful moments that go into it. But nobody ever needs to treat someone badly to do that. Right. It's the distinction of like it's when it's unnecessary. If you're well, cruelty always is. Cruelty is always unnecessary. Yeah. But the idea of like being difficult for the sake of being difficult or creating drama, it's like... I, I don't understand it. Yeah. I don't think it's necessary. It's an ego thing. It's very... I mean, it really is like how much is your ego running the show? Yeah. And again, it, it's across the board. I mean, it's yeah. most obvious in in the above the line actors, writers, directors. Okay. Those are the most blatant and obvious, but I think it, it's across the board. And honestly, it's just like, I think all the, it just begins very simply. I mean, one, I think it begins at the top of the call sheet. And, mm-hmm. and you know, like I, I, one of the first films I was in, I was in, uh, I had a very small part in Date Night with Steve Carell and yeah. Tina Fey. Mm-hmm. I was in one scene. I watched how both of them acted on set. Okay. And I was like, oh, there's no room for anyone to be an asshole because neither of them are. Yeah. You know, I just watched like Steve Carell stand there as they were like lighting. He had a stand in, but he's just like, I'm just going to stand here, light me. I'm going to, and people are going to, people talk to him. He was very nice to them. Mm -hmm. Um, When his hair person came over, I, I learned a lesson watching him when his hair and makeup came over. He would like spread his legs so that he was lower, so oh, wow. it was easier for them to work on him. Mm-hmm. And I just remember watching him and watching that, and was like, "Oh, that's how you behave." Yeah, that's how you behave. Yeah, and, and it really is the top of the call sheet that sets that. Tone. And if the if that if the top of the call sheet behaves that way, nobody else has any right. leeway to behave anything but respectfully and professionally. Because isn't the isn't it at the end of the day? You're in the entertainment business. Like, this is all for the purpose of entertaining yeah. and, like, enabling audiences to have fun. And in theory, you're doing your work in a way that's, if not super fun, then not miserable. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. much what it comes down to. Yeah. And look, there are long, hard days in this job, no doubt. Sure. But it is a privilege to go and get paid or even to work for free, you know, <laughs> making something with your friends student, whatever it is, yeah. it's a privilege to go create and make things. It's And it's it doesn't mean it's easy, but it's a privilege. Mm. And I think like, and it's so silly. And I think the more that you can be like, this is so silly that we're doing this thing, even if it's dramatic mm-hmm. and it's so fun. And the fact that we get paid to do this is such a privilege mm. and we should just enjoy it and be, and you just are spending so much of your time with these people. Oh, yeah. You're spending so much more time with the people you're working on set with or in a writer's room than you are with your own family. Right. You better learn to enjoy each other. Yeah. Because, like, you're spending all of your time doing this thing. You Like, <laughs> figure out a way to, like, enjoy it because it's so fun and silly. Yeah. 
Well, and it sounds like on a project like Big Mouth, the whole, it seems like such a, I love the show so much. It seems like it's all rooted in joy. It's all coming from this place of like, I do want to know what inspired it and what on earth, why, why is this show about puberty? Why Mm -hmm. did you draw inspiration from your own life? It it feels rooted in that, like, let's just have fun and yeah. create this own world mm-hmm. that is ours mm-hmm. with these, like, dolls that you can play with yeah. and have just crazy voices. Yeah, yeah. That Was that the intent? Yeah, I mean, the intent was my partners uh, on the show, Andrew Goldberg, who I've known since first grade, mm-hmm. and we really kind of formed each other's sensibilities when we were in middle school, and Mark Levin and Jen Flackett, who Andrew had worked with, the, he was their assistant when he first moved to L.A., was in grad school, their writer-director team. They oh. came to me with the idea for the show. These two boys, mm. me and Andrew on some level, Nick and Andrew, very different places in puberty, very different places physically, mm-hmm. but best friends and sort of navigating all of that stuff in very different places. So it started there. It came from them, but from Andrews telling them about your childhood? Yeah. Okay. And they were, and they had, we had become, I had become friendly with Mark and Jen. I had been in Mexico City with them and their kids randomly, and I spent a lot of time with them, and we grew fond of each other. And I think, so they were like, they knew Andrew, and then they knew me, and they were like, oh, this feels interesting. So hmm. they brought that to me, and I was like, yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Show about puberty, show about these boys in very different places. <laughs> like, those ideas that feel immediately clear, hmm. You just like ha- you. It's like follow that, follow yeah, that yeah. thing where it's like there's nothing complicated about yeah, this. It's pure. It's pure. It's puberty. Boom. Yeah. Got it. And then it's like, and then they start to. We all start talking. And they're like, well, the boys. But then they were sort of like, well, there's sh- like, what if there's like one of Andrew has like, Andrew was sort of describing this feeling of like there feels like there's like this kind of like hormone monster. <laughs> and they were like, well, that's what it is. It's a hormone monster. <laughs> and then Andrew called me and was like. We have this idea of like maybe there's like a hormone monster, uh-huh. and then I immediately was like, "Touch yourself, Andrew," and it just oh. sort of came out, you know. Oh and it was God. like, "Got it, right? There you go." And it and it, so it, the show kind of unfolded like that. Where Did it the was, voice really come that yeah. quickly and that yeah. informed the whole character? Yeah, amazing. It, it was that the line and the voice. Yes, the line and the voice came out immediately. Damn. And again, it's that sort of like trust your trust the idea yes. and trust instinct and mm-hmm. and. Uh, and it doesn't always happen. There's a lot of days that are you are grinding it out. Mm-hmm. But like, mm-hmm. if you are, if you, and there are moments, there are moments of it when we're writing the show, uh, and on set when you're acting, or but like that version of a flow state where you're just, yeah. if you are fully locked in with the people you're working with, and you are locked in, and you have removed the distractions of other things that you can, things do flow out of you. That's amazing. If you're setting the table right. And it, it right. happens very rarely. Mm. But it was like whatever was happening that day or wherever I was uh, creatively, Andrew said that and I said that. And it was like... You're in that zone. We're in it. We totally. got it. Um, so cool. And we, um, we then started to build the show out from those boys and then started to fill out like what kind of other... You know, we had a, a very dear friend... Um, in middle school, it was a girl who was like dear friends with us, mm-hmm. who's smarter than both of us. And we then were like, okay, it's this kind of girl. And it was like Jesse. Mm-hmm. And we found, we realized like, let's bring in Jesse Klein, who I had worked with early open mic stand up days in New York. Sure. And 
Um, she's amazing. She's super funny, talented, and has a great voice. Mm-hmm. And had not has not done a ton of acting, but then you listen and watch the show. Oh yeah. And like the work that she's doing as an actor in that show, yeah. especially as you watch it grow into season two and you see her dealing with depression and acting mm-hmm. out and all that stuff, it's like, it's quite moving. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that was part of what we wanted to do with the show is that it's this crazy comedy with all these bananas characters mm-hmm. that are silly, silly, silly. But underlying that, the stakes of puberty are so high oh, yeah. that, um, that we were intent on being emotionally honest um and 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 not not skirting and not running away from those elements of of storytelling and comedic and that the comedy can be informed and and vice versa uh. that we were going to do something that was like at times like very sweet and heartfelt and mm-hmm. and 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 I think both having the sweet and heartfelt allows us to get away with some seriously dirty, raunchy stuff. Mm. And in a weird way, the raunchy stuff, the dirty jokes and stuff, undercut the sweetness so that it's not, never saccharine right. or preachy. Sure. And that the lessons being taught are never at the expense of the comedy. Yes. Not, and that we're not That's trying to teach rule. lessons, but that we are right. we are allowing things to be said that are very emotionally driven and mm-hmm. trying to in, help kids get through a really tricky time in their life mm-hmm. with models that we think are good models for what like how to handle a situation or figure out your sexuality or these really big important subjects. Yeah. But part of the way we can get away with teaching or, or not the not teaching, but part of the way we can get away with saying some really sort of heartfelt things yeah. is by having crazy bananas jokes. And how in those rewritings, how often are you approaching it from a, a thing of like too much saccharine, too much crazy raunchy? Constantly. Okay. Constantly monitoring. Yeah. Constantly monitoring um, how uh, not letting – like we are first and foremost a comedy. So okay. it always – the it just has to be funny. If it's not funny, it's gone. Hmm. Um, but cool. I think we are – also very aware that there might be kids watching this and that whatever we're saying and it is it's happening it's happening i mean i'd say like i know 11 12 i mean andrew's basically said like his kids are younger but like i'll let my kids watch it when they're the age of the kids going through yes so i won't tell parents what age is appropriate or inappropriate but we definitely have 12 year olds watching the show Mm -hmm. and we have 55 year olds watching the Mm -hmm. show and everyone in between and that to me is like so awesome. gratifying. Yeah. And we're aware that there are lessons, not lessons. We are aware mm. that there are messages there, and we we want to be on the right side of those messages. Mm. You nice. know, we don't want to shame a kid for figuring out his sexual identity. Yes. Um, the shame, yes. Yes. The shame, so the shame wizard's <laughs> a big part of the show. Totally. Um, and so... Um, and, and as far as like a writer's room environment, like we've worked mm-hmm. hard at creating and, you know, it started with our interviews with writers as we interview writers. It's like Andrew and I are basically talking about our, like it starts with Andrew and I having to be honest about what we dealt with at that age Amazing. of puberty and still, you know, like mm-hmm. I come straight from therapy the next day to the writer's room and we'll talk about what I have been working through in therapy. Um, wow. And that that creates hmm. we've worked hard to create a safe environment where our writers then can be like here's what i here's how i jerked off or here's how yeah. 
here's what my when I got my period, this is what it was like, or this is what it's like for me now dating, or whatever it yeah. is that like create us. I mean, it sounds so cheesy, but a safe space yeah. to share that stuff to get to the honest core of things, yeah. and this crazy silliness of it all. Mm-hmm. Eventually, through that, because um, a lot of that your society doesn't encourage us to talk about those things. No, no. It's a very sex positive show. I think it's it's good for teenagers to watch it, it. It is. We are trying to be as sex positive as possible. Yeah. Um, and I think that that has been. You know, we're just we're just kind of trying to navigate it and create an environment with our writers first and foremost to share their stories and and for us to be able to share our stories to create the most honest version of these things and then figure out how to make those things funny. And it sounds like your personal loved well to draw from, like that's one of the most important tools you have. The stuff in therapy, that's amazing. Yeah, oh yeah, constantly, constantly. And it's crazy that there's stuff that I'm talking about in therapy at 40 that I all began or was stuff that I was dealing with when I was 13. Mm -hmm. That stuff is so foundational. Oh yeah. And it doesn't leave us. And... Um, and it's treating that time period in our lives with respect. Like you said, it's yeah. high stakes. Yes, but yeah. it is. It's true. Treating that time with respect, treating it that that what you were going through then is so incredibly important and formative for who yeah. you become. And to be, res- yeah, to be respectful of of that time mm. and not and to acknowledge it and, and learn from it, hopefully, mm-hmm. and be like, okay, this is what I was going through at 13. I'm still dealing with that or I'm not dealing with that because I've worked through it. And knowing that mm. certain people are still working through that stuff. Yeah. And those kids and for sure are. Is it safe to say, too, that you're both doing the thing of, like, you want to put yourself in the shoes of a 12-year-old and you want to write it from the perspective of an adult telling a 12-year-old what you wish you had heard? Correct. Kind of both of those, like, because so many, I mean, obviously most TV shows or much, most projects are created by adults, but the ones that are about, like, high school and middle school that's tough to get into that like fundamentally into that back into that perspective into that like yes. childlike perspective yes and i think very few projects actually pull that off but big mouth does thank you thank you yeah we we we've you know we're it's a constant work in progress of, of figuring that out and but it is a little bit like you know what would my what would me what would i say now to my that 13 year old mm. boy yeah um and it's like both in the show and in my real life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, th- I wanted to ask, like, why do you think it resonates? But we've totally answered that question because it's like, I think that is why it's a great, Big Mouth is a great example of, of um, in the specific is the universal. Correct. Because the, the, I always come back like, to yeah, the. I'm not saying like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I, but I, I agree that, <laughs> that in that's the specific the is yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the uh, Statue of Liberty episode is mm-hmm. what I always come back to as like, um, Jesse's having her period mm-hmm. at the Statue of Liberty mm-hmm. That so resonated with me, and it was so the idea of, like, I certainly have never had that. I've never had my period. Mm-hmm. But I something about it felt very, very true and very, very specific. Like well, it had happened to someone. Well, it happened to the girl <laughs> yeah. who was our dear friend who Jesse was modeled after okay. from the beginning was like, oh, you're doing that show about purity? She was like, I got my I gotta tell period my story. at the Statue of Liberty. Uh, and none of us, Andrew and I, who were dear friends with her, you were there. We were there. We didn't know because <laughs> she had to go through that by herself. 
Yeah. And, and, and it's brutal. It's brutal. But I think you're right in that it's like none of us, as a man, I, I never got my period uh, and I didn't get my period at Statue Liberty. But that feeling of something has happened to me yeah. and I can't share it with my friends because I'm so embarrassed mm-hmm. about it. And I feel alone. And that was a big thing for the show in general was like, I mm. think pu- kids are going through puberty. You feel so alone. Yeah. And I think what we were trying to do with the show and specifically why I think while it's incredibly dirty, I actually encourage parents to let their kids watch it yeah. is so that their kids, the kids just don't feel so alone. You feel so alone at that mm. point in your life of being like, I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know who I can talk to. I can't talk to anybody about this. Mm. And just to feel like, no, you're not alone. You're not alone. Everybody goes through this. Every And that was part of it was also it was like, oh, puberty. Everybody goes through puberty. Yeah. It's your 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 customer hmm. base is very wide. Yeah. Your demographic is very wide because everybody's gone through it even though it's it's so it's this incredibly universal experience. Hmm. However, then there are incredibly specific so, events that are happening yeah. to people. Yeah. But hopefully you can identify with all of it, you know. Yeah, and that's why you got to unleash the inner like you got to air out the skeletons in the closet yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I resonate with with little Nick because I did not hit puberty until like two weeks ago. <laughs> so like, no, until like, yeah. I was a very late bloomer. Yes. And so there are parts of the show and I'm like, whoa, yeah. did they ask me about my teenage years? Cause yes. this is like, oh, really? it felt very, very specific. Yeah. But yeah. two little pubic hairs, that's too real. I know. I named them. Um, and then you gave them amazing voices from amazing actors. Yeah, we got Jack McBrenner great, and Craig Robinson. What an amazing uh, yeah. show. Like, what other show could that happen in? Yeah. No, it was – it's it's like um, – I think it was partly starting with Nick and Andrew where you've got, like, a kid who's just ravaged by puberty <laughs> and a kid who is desperate to hit it. Yeah. That you realize, like, nobody has it easy. No, Neither yeah. way is better. Neither – like, you've got a kid who can't stop jerking off, who's got acne, who's dealing with all this stuff. so awkward. Mm-hmm. It's hard. For the kid who's like feels like he's not in the mix, yeah, that he feels inadequate, it feels less than they want what each other has, yeah, yeah, and and then you've got all the other kids and what everybody else is going through, and like people's and that there so there's physically what happened to you, and then there's like people's families and ho- home lives, and Jesse's mm. parents going through divorce, or Jay being you know not acknowledged and feeling like he's truly trying to raise himself and has no abilities to oh, yeah. doesn't have the tools to deal with what is happening to him at, at home or sexually or otherwise and um or like you know missy's just like supportive loving parents but she's like a horny spaz and doesn't quite <laughs> understand what she's what what she what her desires are all those you know everybody's got things that they're going through and everybody's got a backstory that mm. is super real and tricky um and mm. th- that's the beauty of continuing to do a show is that the longer you do the show, the more real estate you have to cover all of these different people's stories mm. and really delve into, like, what's going on in these kids' inner lives. And yeah, I think, like, wonderful. you know, you think back about our friend, your friends when you were a kid and what you were going through. You knew it was hard for you going through, like, I want to have puberty. I don't have pubes. I, don't, I feel small. I feel mm-hmm. less than da-da-da-da. Let alone you're not entirely thinking about your friend who's like parents are going through divorce sure and being like yeah. what was going on in that house yeah what is that like oh is that why this kid was doing talking about you it. can't no or i mean maybe kids are better i don't know i don't know how different it is now with mm. with social media whether 
whether kids can now find like-minded people out there going through similar things, mm. or is it even harder that they have to like keep up appearances with, you know, Instagram or Snapchat and being like everything's great or like you know yeah. comparing themselves to others, all that's it's really hard. Yeah. Um, I mean, the shame wizard is forever. I think the shame wizard is forever. It's very real. Yeah. And I think like you look around at some of the behavior of people now, and you're like, ooh, <laughs> boy, like. Their hormone monster might still be present, uh-huh. but their shame wizard is really present. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have to wrap. This is amazing. What um, What? I love the idea of, of drawing from backstories, too. Like, I want to ask what your number one piece of acting advice is, but I know it's, it is along the lines of, like, you have even said, I wrote it down, you felt powerless, and it was powerless and frightening being at the whim of others. Yeah. I wonder if you could just give us, like, a... This is why you're endorsing creating your own content. Right. Just like, well, I feel like being an actor. I think when you're when you're just being when when you're just an actor, you have you someone has to choose you, and therefore mm-hmm. you are you're just powerless. You're just you have no control. Sure. And and it makes it so hard because and and I think the longer that you don't have control, the more you are um that reads on you so like ah like i think the more that you are creating your own stuff finding groups of people to work with and i'm not saying everyone has to become a writer and write their own scripts or whatever it's but it's like mm-hmm. finding a group of people that you work with like even if you just want to act and you want to like do workshops with your friends that's like you're not waiting to be told you've got this part in this play or you've been cast in this film or you're on this tv show that you are, the more that you are creating a community of people to work with, and I do believe just about everyone can be a writer. I think mm. I think every actor can be a writer. Oh, cool. I just don't believe, like, I mean, ah. I think you have to work at it. Absolutely. But it's like, it's if you're easy. smart enough to act, you're smart enough to write. Oh, cool. And I think, like, you, you got to, you started creating stuff for yourself. And then you're like, you've created something. You've got something that you can tell people to come and see, whether it's a play or you go make a short film. Like, mm-hmm. everybody, nobody has an excuse anymore. Your iPhone yeah. now is as good a quality camera as w- what we were shooting, like, digital shorts on and films with in the early 2000s. Yeah. It's better. Yeah. Like, what you have on your phone is better than what I was shooting films on in 2003. You have no excuse mm. to go shoot something. I mean, Tangerine... Yeah. They made that movie on an iPhone. Yeah. For no money. Totally. Everybody can, like, go show everybody what you can do. Don't wait for someone to cast you to show that you can act or be mm-hmm. funny. Mm-hmm. And then if you go make stuff, then you have something to show people, but also you don't, you all of a sudden give off the vibe of like, I don't need this. Yeah, okay. Without having to say, I don't need this. You're just like, great, if you want to cast me in your film, great. If not, like, I got a, I got something I'm going to go work on. Yeah. Like, I've got a I've got a short I'm making with my friends, or I've got an idea, I'm going to go write my one-man show. I've got a, mm. I've got a, I've got a film that I'm, that I'm producing or that I'm developing. Mm-hmm. I'm making something with my friends. I don't give a shit whether you give me this part or not because I'm not dependent on you selecting me or not. Right. It's just like for me, it's it's that feeling of of control mm-hmm. that I think so many actors do not feel that yeah. is so soul crushing. 
Yeah, and it's the feeling of it. Like if you if you truly don't need the person's validation, that reads yes. in an audition room, for example. Correct. Like you give off this vibe of like, I give a fuck, but I don't give a fuck. It's like, you know, like I finished, we were working on the season, you know, Big Mouth, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like I'm, I have that, like, because I immediately still go back to like, who wants me? Nobody wants me for an What's acting next? job. What's mm. next? And I'm like, Ugh. and and mm. and then it's like, just go do the things that I'm just going to keep doing the things I do. Mm. And if the right thing comes along, the right people want to work with me, and I want to work with them, yeah. then I'll go do that. Yeah. And I mean, that's the great luxury I have that I've. But like, I've set the table for myself so go. that I never have to wait for someone to select me to work and to feel creatively fulfilled. Yes. So just like whatever it is you're doing, whether it's like going and doing a podcast or going and like mm-hmm. uh, like developing something with your friends or or doing experimental theater in, you know, yeah. Bushwick or whatever, <laughs> like just go do the things you do totally. and enjoy doing them and find people and find a community that you like working with and and things will start to unfold through that. Yeah. Wonderful. Beautiful. Yeah. Nick, thank you. Thanks for having me. This is amazing. Yeah, man. That was primo advice. I hope so. In the Envelope, an awards podcast, is recorded at Lotus Productions, Hyperbolic Audio, and Big Yellow Duck in New York City, and Soundbox LA, Mark Grau Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Like, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, and follow us on Twitter at In The Envelope. Thanks, as always, to producer, editor, and all-around podcast extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and thank you to the team at Backstage, the most trusted name in casting. That's Peter Rapoport, Rowan Al-Khatib, Francis Ramos, Caitlin Watkins, Lauren Rout, Mark Stinson, and especially Casey Howe. For more awards and industry coverage, head over to Backstage.com. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time for another glimpse in the envelope. Envelope.